cost drifted alarmingly in the betting was you know fancy in the morning continued to drift it was late on the on the exchanges to, to lose it was something you'd see in a, in a Dick Francis novel Charles Bottoms ground is soft, it's not... It's oh, it's not, heavy. Soft on time. So it's it's heavy. Okay. And a massive warm welcome to the Bastards Inquiry Sunday Sermon. My name's Lee Keys of systembet.co.uk. With me today discussing the hot topics of the week and your questions is John Ling of John Joe's Blogspot. Fantastic Blogspot. It's doing fantastic this year. Check him out. A lot of fun on there. You'll get the ginger itland from time to time on there. And uh, it's worth a look out. And give me a shout if you can't get on and I'll, I'll get John to help you get on. He's a fantastic Facebook page. Also on this episode is uh, Lorne Mal- Malvo uh, off Twitter. A good friend of mine and uh, certainly uh, plenty of good ideas about the sport. And we hope this episode will fulfil your needs for the week ahead. Something for the weekend, sir. Um, it's like now, and it's Sunday. Watching Highway and Harry Seacombe and having a cup of tea or something. <laughs> bonanza in the afternoon. Bon- first. Bonanza, yeah. Bonanza. Right. Lost, lost in space before Bonanza. Yeah. Bit of ginger hazard or something. You sit yeah, with then the then t- football Italia. Yeah, yeah. we well, watch um, Dukes of Hazard with the tea tray on your lap as a kid when Daisy Duke used to come on the TV. Or at least I did anyway. But yeah. there you go. My sipping Saturday wasn't wasn't so hot because I went for uh, Duke, Duke of Hazard Saturday and they won with General Lee. And what's they all did. that about? The what's, irony, hey? <laughs> you know, what's all that about? You're taking the mickey there. Right, a uh, very busy show, so straight on with it. Um, I'm going to start with a question that's obviously not connected, connected to any of our topics that we're going to get onto shortly. One from Joel Langford, who's a, who's a good listener of the show. Uh, Joel uh, is from my hometown in, in York as well. Um, and he says chaps um is Maymas um as he's having plenty of two-year-old winners do you think he could produce any that will go and make a top class three-year-old an older horse john any views on Maymas? yeah he's just a bit bigger than a labrador isn't he um <laughs> nah he won't go and make fuck all really i mean he was fuck all himself was he apart from a two-year-old all the, all the siblings, male siblings were gelded early there's nothing really in his makeup that would suggest they would get all the ones, or would have even made an older one. So, uh, not for I, me. I would, I would go with that. Uh, Lou Sale is the the flagship of Maymas this year. Uh, Two year old, obviously won the. Uh, I forget what he won now. Um, was it? Was it? Was it? Was it? Wasn't the gym crack? Was it this year? The latest one. Uh, someone else won the gym crack. What? God knows. what did he win at your? What was it? Was it the Aiken? No, Jill won the Aiken. Uh, I've, I've had a complete memory blank. Anyway, July Stakes winner uh, was was uh, was, was LaSalle. I, I forgot what he's won since. Just somebody's going to like really take the mic here. And uh, this is Gin. Gin and some very vintage Bordeaux this afternoon. Um, but yeah, Maymas, I believe, produces generally fast ground types. They, they're generally quite compact. Um, they, they move quite well, so Maymas in general doesn't want softer ground, um, and I, I, I do think that he'll produce a lot of um, sort of cheat unless he gets better mares. But I mean, for now, I think he's just going to produce um, decent two-year-olds that probably don't go on at three. So John makes a very good point there. Um, our next question 
uh, is a question from John Hines, and he says, "What is it time for Old Tom to move on to pri- on at price wise? A hot tipster in that role would actually be good for the game and create a bit of buzz." Chris, I'll come to you. Um, I, I I kind of agree, actually. I think the price wise brand has sort of tailed off. It's sort of like Woolworths now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> a few years back. <laughs> Without the pick and mix. Um, mm. A few years back, um, when you had, well, the likes of Mark Coton and, and sort of Mel Collier and, and, and others, you know, it genuinely used to move markets. Uh, but then, obviously, the guarantees as the prices went uh, and the whole kind of ethos about finding value was kind of made redundant by, by what, what, what happened. So, so I think it's just another tipping column now. And I think it certainly needs shaking up because it's, for, for me it's completely irrelevant and as for tom siegel i think yeah he's he's probably gone now isn't he he's gone at the game he doesn't have the same impact that he used to have but whether that's because of the lack of guarantees of the prices or he's just lost interest i've no idea but but a new refreshed price why with some new faces might might uh, might not be a bad idea so i think it's a good good suggestion yeah good stuff uh john your views on the, the uh on the, on the wane price wise old tom <laughs> makes him sound like old yeller doesn't it you know you can see bruce Millington slipping his lead on him for one last walk and taking him to the woodshed and giving him <laughs> i was thinking more uncle remus than that yeah i mean uh, I don't even know anybody that's waiting on a price-wise selection. I mean, there used to be a proper buzz about it, didn't there? Oh, yeah. I think it just needs scrapping and something else launching, to be honest. Everybody's fed up with it, really. You know, take on the woodshed and both barrels. Who was the best one, John? The best, best price-wise? Mark, 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 Mark Coulton. Mark Coulton, yeah. 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 The original <laughs> Doug Mountain. Uh, how soon they forget. He tipped the 80 to 1, didn't he? And he admitted that he just simply was the only snooker player that he'd ever heard of. So he thought, oh, I'll pick him. <laughs> this is fair enough. He, he, Mark Curtin was, uh, yeah, I, I, I rated Mark Curtin. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he would be the be the best price wise. But yeah, I mean. In his book, actually. Mm, um, tremendous book. Tremendous. Yeah. He, he, he writes very, very well about punting and you know that, that that sort of book he wrote he sort of said a bet is a self-induced crisis which i think is probably the best description <laughs> of the bet that i've that i've ever read i like that uh, a bet is a self-induced crisis that is that God. is uh, i can relate to that so often usually when i when, I, when i'm out for the day you know like can't half spoil a day out you know it's the one way you've you've got an absolute stormer of a bet and you know it's it's a it's a crazy price you think well i'm gonna back this so you back it and then you look on betfair 10 minutes before race you're at a function and it's drifted again it's out to it's it's gone out another point and you think i've got a moron because this is just this is just this is just gold gold And then, and then you've got the Betfair video on your phone, and someone's trying to talk to you across the table, and you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, then, <laughs> and then you're looking at your Betfair video, and you see it get chinned. Fucking thing, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you have to try and maintain the sort of decorum and polite face when inside yeah. your kind of <laughs> sort of you're, in, you're, you're in your insides are now and are now are now falling down your curl on. And, and then you know and the chap or the lady that's talking to you across the table, you go, Yeah, yeah. You're right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tells he tells a tale in the book of uh, how he found an absolute plot and he rang up for, he had to go into an interview or something and he had to try and ring the bet through on, on an old phone box. And when he got through to Labrooks, he couldn't remember his account number. So they blocked <laughs> him out. And of course he shit up at sort of 12 to one and he was sort of desolate for the rest of the month. But yeah, I, I, we can all uh, empathize. I think with that. Tremendous, tremendous quote from the book, book there from Chris. Um, yeah, so that's the answer on on, on price wise. Uh, uh, wheel him out, uh, uh, do him in. Um, next 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 question. Again, before we go on to topics, is uh, Andrew Woodman. Uh, very, very topical list today for me because this this was thrown out today wrongly. With the amount of dubious amended results at present, chaps, surely it's time to use the VAR principle and have professional stewards who work from a central base. John, I'll come to you on this. You know, I've been advocating this for some time now. Um, I cannot believe we've got a sport that's still policed by part-time colonel blimps. <laughs> They're full-time colonels. <laughs> well, you know, uh. We've got stipendary stewards that are mates with the jockeys because they're ex-jockeys. The whole kitten caboodle wants scrapping as soon as possible but whether they will or not it's another matter I mean they're just inert on things that are important aren't they you know they, they don't get anything done that actually matters to people you know they can organize themselves to do a frigging whip consultation and spend six months on it but something like this that actually affects people and has people interested in talking about it, yeah, honestly, it's trying to make fog, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean Chris, do you, do you agree with John on that? I, I couldn't put it better myself, John. Absolutely, it's nuts that, that we've got a system that, that relies on heavily lunched amateur stewards making decisions that cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of risk or millions of pounds in big races and it's just ludicrous so but you know as john says whether they will wake up to that i rather doubt it to be honest with you yeah i mean i mean the thing this week they've chucked three horses out this week and arguably i'm not saying you know it's never a foregone conclusion but arguably you could have potentially left all three alone um in fact the betting suggested that the first one at foss last this week went off at uh, well so it was, was one to ten uh, to keep the race that was thrown out unbelievably and everyone was like flabbergasted by that so then there was another one on the same card that was similar so then had to go really and and it, again, it was all right into the air. Um, everyone's got opinions on, on this, and you know I'm all for it. But we don't need to be chucking horses out when it's it's sort of you know in the twilight zone. When you know if it's in the twilight zone, it's easy for me. This is how VAR works. How the how the cricket the cricket is the best way 
of umpiring any sport. If you look on the ball tracking, um, if it's if if it's clipping the stumps, it goes with the umpire's call. So the, if umpires gave it not out, then it's and so on and so on. And racing should be like that. If it's definitive, without doubt, then to to put it simply, the horse should go. If it's not definitive, then it simply stands. And this is now. I think they've actually changed tack, you know, chaps. I think honestly, there's been some directive that we don't know about because the last few weeks we've seen what is it now five or six disqualified in the last sort of month. Yeah. Um. So something have they not told us? Are, are they all milking milking the, the exchanges? Are they all, are they all <laughs> thinking well this is going to go because we've we've told them all to be more strict, but we've not told the betting public. What is well, it? Well, we had last year, didn't it? <laughs> well, it's honestly, I I could not bet. Now, on a, I used to pride myself on being fairly right on stewards' inquiries because I, I could read a, I could read probably how they were thinking, and secondly, you know what was the right call. And in fact, I could call most stewards' inquiries in about two minutes maximum. Why they need twenty minutes? And 20 That's because you're having the same amount of gin as them fuckers. <laughs> I'm on turbo, especially the Red Bull. But I mean, yeah. I, the thing is that uh, look at the referee on VAR. You know when when he goes to the telly on on the pitch, not the one in yeah. the studio. He goes to the telly and he's called to judge on a penalty or or a, or a sending off. He doesn't stand there for twenty minutes playing it backwards and forth. No. And interviewing the players. You know, it literally is right. Uh, he might he might stand there for a minute if it's a tricky one, but but that's it. It literally is. Yes, and 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 you always give the benefit of doubt if it is tricky because if you can't decide, then it has to stand with your original decision. And this is this is why to me they've moved the goalposts on this because um, and the Horse Betters Forum got involved as, on this question as well on on our Twitter page. They actually said today, Martin Hughes said. The, the Horse Betters, Betters Forum in 2018 lobbied uh, uh, in 2018 for the stewards to do something similar to the NFL, which was yep. basically review everything from a central studio uh, with a small group of people reviewing things. And they said, sadly, others, others they didn't say who, others in the industry disagreed. Now, John, who are the others? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who are the others, John? It's anybody's guessing. I mean, it could be. I mean, like you said about these these. And what are the? Do you know? What I'd like to know these independent these steward these steward panels that are on say yeah each race meeting. What's their salaries? Should be so thick. Yeah, I mean. Uh, well, we know we get a lunch. I mean, I, I'd like to know if anyone, if anyone can put on our Twitter feed, you know, what the stewards actually get paid. Uh, either is it per meeting, is it is it per is it per annum, and and expenses accounts. What is it? We, no, no one has. I, I actually don't do not know this. So, I mean, how many race courses are there in the land? How many stewards do we have unnecessarily? How many are taking out the pot when racing can't even fund races properly and owners are suffering? Um, it's, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace that we cannot have a central, like like the Horse Betters Forum said, a central panel of three 
or you know, with obviously you need you need, they need holidays, so you need a reserve list, but you know, etc. But it's going to be a lot cheaper than employing Colonel Mustard um, with the lead piping. The trouble is, even if they have a central committee or panel or whatever you call it, they still won't address the problem that they've got around their recruitment policy, and you'll have a lot of ex-jockeys sat there. Yeah, that's true enough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's like like you said. I mean, like for example, uh, Ironside on on at the races, you know. I mean, terrible accident on the racetrack, promising jockey. You know, I'm not, but it's like you say, it's, it walks straight into a job. And George Baker the same on racing TV. Terrible accident at San Moritz. Um, you know, don't wish accidents on anyone or anything like. But but straight into a a media media punditry role. And I bet there's a lot of people out there that have done degrees that have that have worked the butt off to try and get a media role somewhere or something, and have got a passion for the sport. Right, and the blogger, he's got a passion for the sport. <laughs> the blogger, the, the blogger yesterday, job. Um, he he he's, he had his pockets turned out yesterday. He walked out. He walked out yesterday. I saw this video, and he's he's done his brain yesterday. Yeah, his pockets turned out. He wasn't doing an elephant impression. No, I was just about to say that. That's just a crap joke. I was just you beat you to the punch there. Yeah, that'd be for the stallion that way. Yeah. I mean, it illustrates this, you know, I mean, once you've got your feet in the gravy boat in racing, you know, I mean, you've got Megan Nichols there. Yeah. I'm going to be a bloodstock agent now. Yeah. And then other people's money. I'm going to be CEO of the BHA next week, you know, and I'm going to, you know, and where the fuck is she getting the qualifications from to do this? Who the hell wants their buying asses for them? You know, she. She, she's probably no more arses about five minutes. Yeah. And I, I know R8 Nichols and, and all the rest of it, but he, he hasn't been buying his arses. No. The one thing I can say from this game, in any, any part of the industry, whether it's bloodstock, professional punting, whether it's training, riding, you get better with time and experience, and there's no way I would ever, ever trust any of my money with anybody sort of in the, you know, uh, the early years because you simply don't know enough about the game you've you've it takes time to get where people are both in training ranks jockey ranks everything and i, I like you said john it's a uh, it's amazing this game well, really. I mean, you know i mean she's gonna go to the sales and pick one out for you and have an idea of what it's gonna look like at four years old it's gonna have a rainbow crested neck and a fucking unicorn <laughs> yeah but how many winners have you ridden now? That's what I want to know. Maybe as many as her. Fucking right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we've 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 two we've two more questions before we get on to the um the the, the, the topics of the show um to to get through. Um and uh Philbert Bagshot uh says, um, is there a case for just backing horses every time they run to level stakes? For example, he makes a point, Billersdenbrook. Won seven from 35 in a career. Um, SPs of 66 to 1, 12 to 1, 16 to 1, and have always appeared friendless in the market. Chris, come to you. Well, you wouldn't want to fucking back miles to level stakes there in five career. <laughs> You'd be in the workhouse. No, honestly. I might. <laughs> um, it depends on the horse, really. I mean, I, I, I don't understand 
don't necessarily understand the question. I suppose it depends on the horse, doesn't it? I mean, if you've identified something that you think has got a huge amount of potential that's consistently underrated by the market, then yeah, you might want to follow it irrespective. But but as a strategy, the answer might actually be no. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it's a case of if you... I'll give you an example, uh, Philbo Bagshot. If you if you pick a horse out that you like, or you've seen it on video, or or you just like a horse going forward, you think, ooh, that's took took my eye. For example, Astilio um, at, at Beverly Beverly on Saturday, or or it might be something else that you've that you've been watching and you think, I'm waiting for this, right? Th- there are times when you probably can. You can probably back it between now and the end of the season. If you had a pound on Astilio between the now and the end of the season. You know, a betting man would say this horse is going to pop up, and so therefore, you've got some credence to your argument, but you've obviously got to pick the right horses. And that the, the skill is picking a horse out on a, on a and, and never sometimes probably don't give up on them. Sometimes punters, myself included, you you can you can watch a horse run eye catchingly well, and you think, oh, this this will this is this this will win this. And then then if it runs flat. You think, ah, oh, maybe I was wrong. Then next time out, 25, bang. And and you sort of, at the number of times that's happened, you feel sick. Horses aren't machines. There are many variables that get horses beat. Um, and, yeah, so, so that would be my advice. John, any anything further to add on that? You can't get me down what the hell kind of question it is, really. <laughs> you know, I mean... Is there a case for just backing horses every time they run at level six? Well, so you're going to start with, with an unraced horse because if it runs and wins first time up, you've, you're already stuffed as regards following the system. Yeah. So you, you're just going to be picking out a series of unraced horses and then following them off a cliff, especially if they buy mermaids. Uh, no, but. <laughs> No. Well, quick to cross it. How's that doing? I'm following that religiously. That's doing all right, is it? Listen, ten thousand. <laughs> listen, you say this. Look, look at yeah. celerity the other day for Lisa Williamson the other week. That is true. You that know, hundred and seven runs and then bomb thirty three. Yeah. Thirty three's at here. Everyone's written it off. This this can't yeah. win. In fact, Peter Norton. Peter Norton, John. Said, don't set, no, don't set me off with that. <laughs> no, he likes him. He's his favourite pundit. That's why I brought it up, really. Yeah, I can't yeah, be yeah. with that bastard. I cannot. <laughs> yeah. The reason I br- the reason I bring it up, John, is because um, you know, obviously, Peter Norton was was on record saying at Adoc this was a while ago, and he said, um, "I really don't know why they keep running this horse, and I, I really think it should be retired." <sighs> And and Lisa Williamson shoved it right up Peter Norton. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, yesterday was rock bottom from him as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he uh, he actually tried to after time a double after the first leg had gone in at one to four. There was a one to four favourite, Carl Burks, has gone in. Struggled to win at that, but it, it, it won. Then Norton, well, international boys down at the start. Well, this could be the short of second leg of an each way. Double. <laughs> you know, I don't think what the hell am I listening to? You didn't say each way, actually. You said uh, anybody that likes sharp prices could have been doing a double on these two. Then international boy gets beat, and he's there again. 
Well, anybody that did that doubles done the money, haven't they? Yeah, fucking mugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, honest to God, I can't take much more out of this. And and I've never had the the telly on so much mute as I had last night. I, I literally couldn't stand it. I, I'd have been putting my foot through it. <laughs> Quality. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll finish the questions off now before we get onto the topics with Carl Swanson. And he says he's, he's not happy with ITV's coverage. Good listener of the show is Carl Swanson. Love, loves us. Loves us. So thank you, Carl, for all your questions. Of, of the time you've been with us, probably, I would say, since the beginning, really. And he says, how much longer can ITV keep churning out this pointless guff that they are doing? He goes, I thought yesterday sunk to an all-time low with the chinless wonder bell watching a punch and judy show and then telling us kids could get a pet goat or a sheep for god's sake i can't stand the bullshit anymore you've got chamberlain tell us it's emotional after every race and jason listener weaver with the giggling kamane enough's enough i mean i didn't watch itv yesterday did any of you two watch itv i did I did, and I thought Punch and Judy were, were sort of indistinguishable from the from the presenting team, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think I prefer to have had the fucking policeman, Punch and Judy and the Crocodile, um, presenting the programme. I mean, look, it, it, Carl's right. Um, you know, ITV coverage is now very much... It's kind of like a sort of a sport version of Anti-Vex Saturday Night Takeaway. It's everything except the main event, isn't it? it it's all about... The, the, all, the, all the fun of the fair, all the other things unrelated to the actual core business, which is betting on horses. And I agree. I think it's cringeworthy, dreadful program. Um, I, and I think they've lost direction. Um, you know, they, they just simply have no idea how to promote betting as an enjoyable and responsible pastime. And they forget that betting funds the sport. So how, how much longer they can carry on with this? God only knows. Bob on. John. Francesca Camani used to be a lot better at this when she was doing it for Australian TV. But you give one of these entitled, moneyed people from families that have never had to do with hard days yakker in their lives, you give them a glimpse of an easy shift and they'll take it every time. And she's no longer doing any research. She's there having a bit of a giggle. And yeah. it's it's just filling in time until she gets a late entertainment slot of a weekend somewhere. Um, yeah. And the whole show is absolute cobblers from start to finish. Chapman is a joke. And again, I know what Jeff Banks said the other night when he said he can turn it off and on and he's doing it to broaden the appeal. Chapman's a bully. Um, the only people he criticises in racing are the little guys. Yeah. Um, he's all too happy to crawl up the asses of people like Roger Charlton when they land in a touch after they've been sneaking one round at the back. It's boom and all this cobblers. Yeah, it's but, and, and anybody gets done for stopping one and if the less than 50 rides a month, he's all, all for hanging them. Yeah. Um, it's cringeworthy, it? John. That's the whole thing. You just, you, yeah. you, set, you hide behind a cushion watching it. I mean, I, I, somebody I know doesn't follow racing came into the house a couple of weeks ago and Chapman was on and he, and he said, who the fuck's that? 
He says, you fucking over there. I said, well, no, that's the the the, the, the anchor man for, for, for betting coverage. He couldn't believe it. I, I don't like the public to bits completely. I think Leona May has been a find. Um, she at least looks prepared to present racing and that has done some work on the subject matter at hand. But other than that, I mean, waivers just going through the motions. I mean, as as Carl says, Jason, listen, waiver. That. You know, I mean, if he, if he wasn't on the telly, he'd get a job as the fucking Green Cross cord man. Stop, look, listen, listen. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, good stuff. I mean, I mean the, the, thing that con- the, the thing that concerns me is uh, the fact that betting is sort of overlooked. Um, I think that's a massive worry. Because we've got a re- we've got racing purse writers in the last week. Um, I can't I can't remember the journalist's name. She's a young lady. Um, I don't want to sort of mention her or, or, or sort of like dismiss her article, but it, it was kind of coming from the York York did a tremendous job angle, and it depends what you call a tremendous job. I mean I mean like I said, yeah, did everyone turn up in the numbers and get pissed? And it was it a fantastic social affair? Yes, it was. But but as as we've covered on this show before, uh, is this going into racing's coffers? No, <laughs> no. So if we if we can't if we can't fund a sport that produces prize money and stops everyone selling to King Kong, and you know when they get a ninety horse, and then we get five runners at Newmarket on a Friday for a class two and three handicap, um, because because. They're just, there's no horses left, um, you know, because they're all targeting the big meeting. The good horses are targeting the big meetings, big meeting handicaps. I suppose we've always, we've always had that, but I would I would presume that in the past an owner would be less inclined to sell if they were getting rewarded in terms of in terms of prize money. I think I would if I owned a ninety horse and King Kong offered me three hundred thousand for my ninety five rated three year old. If I knew I could race for a hundred thousand for the win, and and I, I would get in, you know, twenty thousand a place or fifty, you know, then I'd be reluctant to sell. And I think this is the problem that 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 the BHA are sort of overlooking. And and the, the, this in the calendar now, for example, uh, my horse is entered on Friday at Newcastle, and there there were there are thirty three entries for my horse's race. Why? Because he's rated sixty one. Uh, the other races that aren't so low, it, it, it's it's lesser lesser entries. You could fill the note to sixties and the and the note to fifty fives ten times over. The problem is, everyone's selling once they get a decent horse. Yeah, and I think that's that's the issue here. That an ITV by by promoting non betting, I don't think it helps the sport the way it works. Well, I think uh, my, my my alternative to the fu- the levy funding model is I think the Giacomo catalogue should contribute to the levy because all the people they're attracting to the races all buy Giacomo suits on tick, go there, have a few lines of nose bag and a punch up. That's the sort of people they want to Giacomo contribute to the fucking levy, I think. That's where the money is. That's yeah. my great idea. And I'm going to trademark that immediately. So there you go. <laughs> right, we'll move on to this. John, are you, are you with that? Absolutely, 100%. 
We'll move on now to the serious part of the show, where we've got um, uh, three serious topics, one of which uh, was a very good debate we had on the Bar Stewards on a sermon special uh, earlier this week, and it featured Jeff Banks, who um, kindly came on the show, uh, an on-course and online bookmaker, fairly well-known, obviously done Channel 4, etc., and, and things like that in the past, got plenty of good things to say and i thought jeff held his own very very well um regarding we've had a couple of questions regarding that show um 50p wasn't that impressed um he said he wasn't a fan of how jeff kept shifting the issues with bookmakers to others and blaming arbors etc um and he and he said basically he should take more responsibility himself um John Hines uh, said he takes his point about not wanting traders, perfectly understandable. But is the punter, John Hines says, who has five to six accounts um, and only uses each firm when they are top price, still wanted? You know, why are they sort of discriminated against? Or are are bookmakers now demanding loyalty? Um, Of course, you know, basically, in other words, you, you should bet with them even if you're not getting the best price. Um, so on. Uh, what, Chris? Did you did you listen to the show? Um, earlier I, in the week? I did. I did. And, and fair play to to Jeff, who I agree more than held his own. Actually, I, I thought because by appearing on a forum like this, he, he he's on a hiding to nothing, really, isn't he? You know. So 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 fair fair play to him. I think you know on the question of um sort of uh you know that that Jeff. Uh, I think one of the questions sort of indicated that that Jeff was. Uh, more more defensive th- th- than than he might have been. I think the problem Jeff's got, as a lot of independent players have, they, they simply cannot compete with the marketing spend of companies like Bet365. And, and what he's trying to do, he's trying to offer the recreational punter a fair crack of the whip. Now, the, the problem is, is what what do you do? We really think Jeff regards as the recreational punter. You know, is it is it? You know, what is a recreational punter in in in, in Jeff's kind of lexicon of terms? Now, I, I would argue that is a long term losing punter. I think that, that it is code for long time losing punters. And I think when he mentions arbors, etc., you know, yeah, you will get people that you know consistently will pick him off when he's top price. But I do think there are a lot of people that. Uh, there are likely to have been a lot of people that have been closed down or restricted by Jeff who aren't Arbors, who are simply people that Jeff regards as the potential to be long-term winners. So, so I don't always buy the Arbor uh, argument. I, I think it's just, I think it's code for, we think you're going to beat us in the long term, so we're going to call you an Arbor. Uh, and and that, that's certainly my experience anyway. Yeah, I mean, my, my take on it is that if Betfair finishes... Um, which Jeff sort of indicated in his interview that, you know, Betfair's days kind of are, are on the way. Um, yeah. If, lo and behold, we don't really have an exchange model anymore, what would the bookmakers do? Because you have to get an opinion. And if, if people are in the shadows and not able to sort of bet, you know, it's all right having this tissue marking service overnight and punters being able to get on, but which is which is you know the twenties and the tens. The point is that if if Betfair's not there to guide them on a sure tissue, surely people like myself, for example, are just going to be stood there at race courses 
waiting and waiting and waiting for the Ricks, the price, I'll, I'll probably go back on course. If that, if, if Betfair finishes and I still, I've still got an interest in the game, I'll probably go back on course because no longer have they got the clerks to look at, you know, computers and, and, and look at Betfair and go, oh, well, Betfair are 3.7. He wants, he wants nine to four. Let's lay him. Um, yeah. You know, it's, they've not got that comfort blanket anymore. So the on-course books all of a sudden have to start working for the do. And are we going back to a stage where then when on-course bookmakers, you know, such as uh, Jeff Banks' father, you know, starts getting jockeys in the pockets. Um, yeah, getting in for, get, getting that edge on the punter, which is what used to happen, which is prob- probably gave leverage for somebody like Phil Bull to walk down the line and go, yes, I would like... Uh, Three and a half thousand on this. What would you lay me this? But like a gentleman back in the stands, you know, and that that's how it used to work. That was that was the old days. And I, I mean, number of non-triers probably fill bull back probably quite a lot because the, 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 the how it worked back then was a lot different to how it works now. Now you've probably got jockeys now that possibly. Um, you know, resort to, I don't know, I mean, look at Charles Burns, you know, he, he laid his horse in, in India and, you know, the, the, the Viking horde at Tremor, which brings me on to another question from, from Golf Boy that basically says about, about drifters. And he said that should we as punters, you know, are we conditioned as punters that, that drifters can't win, etc. I think, I think to answer that, it, there's so many variables that affect a horse's price. It could be anything from a bang in the horse box on the way there, the horse has travelled badly, to something more sinister. There's lots of reasons why horses drift. As, as I've pointed out numerous times on this show, I owned a horse called Neptune Equester. I've got a leg in him. And he sweated terribly before Weatherby, something he'd not done at Sedgefield the time before, when he ran well in the Durham National. And yet he sweated horrifically. And I mean, Brian had to chuck loads of water on him. And yet the horse absolutely bolted up. These are all variables that everyone has to consider. Doesn't necessarily mean the horse is not going to win. It could be just a drift because of X, Y, Z, rather than said jockey going to India. If this all stops, if Betfair stops, you can bet your bottom dollar the books will be trying to create their own cartel again and their own markets. The false gambles in the morning at Labbrooks when they used to do it tens into threes. Oh, the the back in the back in the Dave Evans one that's been down the field for the last six runs that will win today then and then all of a sudden SP sixteen to one. You'll say, well, it's no different to now on Betfair. That can happen if the owners aren't on. It's true. But the bookmakers want the cartel. The bookmakers want all the the cake, if you like. Um, and and Betfair, all Betfair's doing really is making the bookmakers be lazy and bet to Betfair, if you like. John, have you any take on um, Jeff's interview earlier this week? I know you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought the comments were interesting when... Uh... <laughs> You, you, the first comments you read out where uh, the lad said uh, he thought it was disappointing Jeff was shifting the blame to uh, the bigger firms and all that. Um, I mean, I, I kind of get that, but I do genuinely think Jeff was speaking from the heart throughout that interview. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think he was saying it 
MMF to shift blame or wash his hands of a decision. I think he was saying it because he genuinely felt that, you know? Yeah. Um, it was a good take. I mean, he, he was very honest. He's very candid. Um, and I think fair play to him for sort of sticking his head above the parapet. Um, you know, what did surprise me was there wasn't as many kind of, oh, yeah, but you restrict me to 10p, Jeff, you know, when I tried to have 10 grand on an A9 of fucking Sheffield or whatever. Mm. Um, all, all, all that kind of talk. So I thought that the feedback was very, very constructive. thought it was a good interview. Yeah, I mean, yes, that, that was my final thoughts, really, that, that he was he was he was he came across very knowledgeable and yeah. very knowledgeable at his trade, his sport. Obviously, been in the game a long time. I, I had more respect from him after the interview than before. Um, I, fe- I felt that there could have been one or two issues I could have probably done a little bit better on, but he, he handled himself well. And yeah. the only thing I've got an issue with is obviously the, the affordability checks, which I think are a, an absolute disgrace, really. I think the affordability checks are... But I think, is that typical of society as we're moving... This is society now. It's not society in the the 80s, the 90s. This is where, you know, it's like we're talking about we're having too much, too much McDonald's, we're having too much gin, we're having too much... We're having too, too many bets. We're chucking ourselves off bridges because we're having too many bets. Um, you know, it's, it's a different society. We've lowered the Grand National Fences... And this brings me nicely onto our next topic, the overwatering of the ground. Talking about nanny states, the overwater, the overwatering of the ground, which is now for me, and I, I, I think I'm going to pair it up with the with the Grand National fences um, and the lowering of those fences uh, to appease animal rights. Nick Davies pointed out a long time ago um, to us on on social media. He does some research on going sticks and how we've become this. Right, we must water. We oh, good to firm. That's no good. All of, I, I, I honestly think in two or three years' time, good is the new normal on the summer flat. We're not, we're not even because we're at a stage now. We're we we literally we're watering the firm out of the ground. Yeah, and and this is just it's it's an unacceptable position. I mean, Newmarket Saturday. If anybody watched watched it, te- I mean the times were all sort of slower than standard not by a lot but to say that they'd had no rain since you know it was the print they were making there as well it was horrible wasn't it horrible john weren't it, it awful you know all the top were coming off in fact if you'd have said if you didn't i will challenge any punter that that watched the videos of Newmarket saturday and didn't watch that you know didn't know the ground in advance there's no way you're saying that's good to firm. The way they're kicking that that turf up, there's no way that's good to firm. They're going all over the frigging track looking for decent ground. Well, that's another thing. How many tracks have we all noticed now, folks, where horses are wandering all over the course? With the hanging from sort of look at Ascot, how they hung to a rail. Look at um uh, they did it at Goodwood, hanging all over the place, banging into yeah. each other, and and. You know, it was uh, Christian Stranger, a fellow professional punter, a friend of mine, that said he'd got a theory that horses hang for the best ground. Naturally, if we're runners and we're athletes and we're running down a track and then all of a sudden your right leg feels like, wait, hang on, my left leg's sinking here. My right leg's not. 
Right. So let's. So you go. You you move to the to the ground. That's obviously that's what horses do. It's easier. You know, and I just, I just genuinely think that this, this watering, red cars the same, John. You're local, yeah. a disgrace, right? There was, there was, there was a bias. There's been a bias for a while now. Red car, they've 100% watered out that bias. I don't care what anyone says. They have deliberately watered out that bias because the reason I say it is because for, for yonks, for, for God knows how long, low numbers have been favoured, right? You try and win from stall one now, you ain't gonna. Right, I don't know what's happened. Something's happened. It's like sort of middle, middle to high now, and and low draws are just are just goosed. And this is my point that that tracks are deliberately interfering with. I don't know what they're doing, but but they are. And Thirsk the other day was Thirsk. Thirsk get the biggest disgrace of the week. And if if their Clark John Joe Sanderson wants to come on here and discuss this, fair play, they can because. It, 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 uh, what they did the other day was they didn't have they didn't have a drop of rain since last Saturday, not one drop. They had light drizzle, which was less than three millimeters on the on the morning of racing. I think it was Thursday, and yet thirst were good to soft. They started the meeting on good to soft middle of summer. No rain since last Saturday. They're an absolute uh, with times three and four seconds slow. They're they, they just they're awful. Uh, absolutely awful. Yeah, John. I mean, how, how can you have a uh, in the first race of any card these days? You, you know, you, you take your life into your hands. You've got to wait for the first race to see what the ground's like. That's mad. That's absolutely uh, nuts. Yeah, I mean, John, do you, do you share my concerns? Well, this is where we're at, isn't it? You know, I mean, and again, it's down to the BHA being in it over a serious issue and not wanting to get their arms around it. This, this is 10 years we've been banging on at the BHA about this sort of thing and how it was getting out of hand and they were ruining classes. And all they do is sit there nodding like bloody dominoes. It yeah. makes you sick. I mean, Horse Betters Forum, obviously, Martin Hughes responded to a post today. Simon Rowland's also responded to Andrew Woodman's post uh, on our timeline today. If, if you can sort... If you listen to this pod, if you can sort out a meeting with the BHA again on 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 the present the going stick archive to them. Literally, Ascot's gone down a full point, like like calling it good to firm. Um, it, it's monstrous what they're doing. It, it's a massive shaft to the punter, an enormous shaft to the punter because anyone punting at thirst the other day expecting, well, they've given it, they've given it good to soft, and, but I mean, how can they give it good to soft? How? It's impossible to be good to soft ground up here in the north. We've had no rain since York on Saturday, so what we, you know, what one, two, three, four, five days. After Saturday, no rain, not a drop, not a solitary drop up in the northeast here. And yet we start on good to soft. It is unacceptable on in, in for summer flat racing. Unacceptable. I mean, what makes me laugh is Thirsk, their first meeting of the year, started on rattling quick good to firm. Well, what's unacceptable as well, Lee, is the fact that the BHA can just let that go and not have any sort of inquiry into why it was good to soft. Yeah. You know, they've got ex-jockeys again in positions like inspectors of courses. What the hell are they paying these people for? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Uh, go, go, going back to something else uh, to do with the Jeff Banks interview, I just forgot to mention, was um, we, we did some research this week on the Gambling Commission, and we were shocked to see the amount of power the Gambling Commission have. Jeff was right in some of his quotes in terms of what the licensing laws contain and what the bookmakers have to do. Now, the bookmakers don't have to demand the documentation, right? That's not in the Gambling Commission's terms and conditions. However, the Gambling Commission have basically given bookmakers full license to basically do what they want, uh, and they, they, they expect the bookmakers to come down hard on potential risk gamblers. That's the problem, though. It's a very broad brush. It's, it, it, it basically says that the Gambling Commission expects bookmakers or, or they, they can revoke the bookmaker's license. So I kind of get why the bookmakers have reacted the way they have in terms of affordability checks. But what worries me more than the bookmakers is the power the Gambling Commission has. Where has this come from? This, was, this is a government quango. The, gam the gambling commissioner of government Quango, they have grown like a monster. Ten years ago, they were supposed to represent the punter. They were supposed to help the punter in, in terms of maybe disputes with the bookmakers. They have suddenly grown into this government funded with an average wage of what, £60,000? 60000 average wage in the gambling commission. 355 employees. They made a £20 million loss last year. Right. This this is 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 a company that is basically potentially Peter Shilton included re ready to 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 attack normal punters that have have a vested interest in the sport and it's like why is this why is this allowed to happen? The gambling commission have the power, believe it or not. This doesn't have to go through parliament. The gambling commission could recommend on a bookmaker's license that maximum bets be 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 five hundred pound maximum without proof of proof of income. Yeah. And that would not have to go through Parliament. That's how much power they have. It's scary. And and I've read all through the terms and conditions. By the way, your data, if you produce your data uh, to a bookmaker, i.e. proof of funds, it could be a bank statement, it could be a share, whatever, pension, whatever, this will be shared with a third party. 100%. Why? Because we've checked. It's in the terms and conditions. It's a company in Leeds, right, that, that has this information and has your information and can use it for any purpose they see fit. This is fact. And this is something that punters will not be aware of because punters don't care. They just want a bet. They just want to get up in the morning, place a bet on a horse, and lo and behold, your data and everything else is held by a company in Leeds that can do what the hell they want with it. What on earth is happening to this this game? The BHA are absolutely powerless on this. The BHA have no power. The game now is run by the Gambling Commission and, and they liaise with the government, etc., etc. The BHA are just arbiters of the sport, just making a complete hash and a mess of things. There we go. No good news there. 
as there ever is, we always moan on this show. But I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd give you some facts that other people can't be asked to read. The small print, if you like, you know, it's, 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 it's the print that no one ever ever reads. Um, right. So it comes on to our final topic this week, which is in running betting. John, you like a little bit in running bet, don't you? The other case, yes, uh, it usually seems to be when it's going to cause maximum annoyance and I have to say on air that I've backed a winner in running. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, the, the, the problem, I mean, what I see within running betting at the moment is that obviously, and it, this has been since the dawn of time, we've got drones in the sky now. Uh, run by private private operations that that broadcast fast picks. Um, you know, obviously it's people taking advantage. Obviously that's that's the market. But what I don't understand is, again, this is like this this for me is the BHA because surely they can get involved with tracks and say, well, look, if you can't beat them, join them, lads. I mean, surely if they set up a fast picture service around the world imagine how many subscriptions you could get for, to be able to bet in running on british horse racing at say 0.6 0.7 seconds behind live imagine imagine the the as long as you're under that one second delay how how many people can you you actually get i would say i'd even guess it between five and ten thousand paying hundred pound a month minute you know 100 pound for, for for bang live in running picks now you know the income there is enormous absolutely enormous you could probably pay more than 100 pound you could probably demand a, a bigger premium i mean I, I don't know but but you've got the world audience at your feet yeah and you could share this with the tracks with the prize money with everything but yeah they're just letting drones fly high in the sky they, they're just doing nothing betfair does nothing um and i just i just think there's a product here that that could be really sort of fluid and offer people chances in the game offer, offer people a chance to make money offer everyone really uh, uh, yeah this make the sport thrive do you agree chaps definitely, definitely. The, the problem is though as we've said ad nauseum in the past that betting isn't part of the administrator's DNA. No, nobody cares enough about it. So, so it is again just a, an unfortunate sideshow. But I agree. You know, a license uh, for, for genuinely live pictures, licensed around the world to, to, to potential um, subscribers, would generate a huge amount of revenue. But, but no one gives a shit shit about betting. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I mean, and the thing is, it, as long as the industry continues to promote non-betting, not non-betting issues, a ITV sport, which, by the way, I will say it's quite polished. It's a polished product. Yeah, it's a good product. It's a, you know, it's a good presentation. But the problem is they're presenting the wrong subject matter. That's the issue. It is. Um, and and for me, for me, that's the worry that that going forwards, I really fear for the sport. Now, whether that that whether bookmakers are that bothered because I genuinely believe that Betfair days will be numbered in time. And I think bookmakers will want that cartel back that they've always had, you know, back in the old days where they could, you know, they could basically dupe punters into yeah. anything. Um, and that's what I believe the end game is. I mean, don't forget Betfair's owned by Paddy Power. Yeah. Um, they don't seem to be too concerned that they were £10 million down on turnover at Goodwood. 
they don't seem to be making noises worrying about it or or thinking right we better um we better sort this um so i i genuinely fear for anybody trying to come into the sport and trying to make a bit of money um from a punting angle that's that's from my angle so um i think we've just about covered everything folks any any anything for you guys to add uh, uh, for this week or anything i mean john i know you're very keen on um Ostilio for the portland i'm extremely keen on Ostilio for the portland i was extremely keen on Ostilio for the portland before he wasted everybody's time running it in that bloody thing yesterday yeah. You're worried. You're worried. Now it's going to be seven, six, eleven or two, five, yes. nine, nine to two, fours. I mean, yeah. incredibly stupid race to run it in yesterday. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what he was hoping again because I mean, it was only going to show it up. You know, I mean, if he, if he'd gone there in the back of the yard run, I think we could have all thought we're about to twenty fives. Yeah. You know, silly, silly boy, Paul. Yeah. Right, um, I think that's a suitable time to close the show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the, the chit-chat like like we have. We always do. Um, we are back on Friday um, with our preview show. There's me, John, Andy Richmond covering the uh, Haydock uh, Cup meeting. Um, we've, got a ch- we've got a normal Sunday sermon next week. Um, the following Tuesday, we have the St. Ledger preview with myself, John, Andy Richmond and Quentin Franks, new guest there. Um, I'll explain more about him for the for the preview show. And then on the Friday of the Ledger meeting, we've got um, a terrible lineup, really, hopefully. We've got confirmed the Ginger Hitler is back for the Ledger meeting. Um, we're hoping for Nick Davis to sign, seal and deliver um, for that Friday before the, the Saturday. Um, and then obviously the, the the sermons as usual. Chris will be back on the um, on the Sunday following the, the the ledger Saturday. So we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. Um, me, John, and Chris signing out for now. Bye for now.